Hey, uh, good morning, uh, Central Vineyard, both here and away, and I see some new faces, or maybe they're old faces, but I just, you know, as I said, I have a little bit of face blindness. Add to that masks. Add to that declining eyesight, because I, I just turned 50 a couple months ago, so, you know, it's so, so if I look at you like, who are you? Cut me some slack, all right? But hey, we're so glad you're here today. Who here is feeling like human starved? Like, I actually, I know introverts that are dying to get into big groups of people. It's been so crazy lately. And uh, then uh, it seems like we took a month off of gathering in person. And uh, what I do know is God really loves the heart of people who, in deference to the safety and vitality and well-being of others, are willing to take extra precautions. Now, whether there could be some debate of whether we were a little too careful or overly cautious or not, but the only thing that matters is, why don't you guys listen to the kids? Faith working itself out through love. So our faith and our love whether we are hit everything perfectly, we don't know. But we know God likes faith and love, and cool. So we're, we got that. Um, so exciting to know about uh, what God's doing with One Good Home. I don't want to presume all of you guys know what One Good Home is, but One Good Home um, has been one house that has uh, provided a landing place for uh, immigrants who are homeless, who have fallen through the cracks of every other system here, and we made some, built some friendship with two or three different organizations that would kind of uh, have us on call when they had someone that they didn't have another housing opportunity with, and they specifically knew what our church was like and what kind of our strengths and weaknesses were, and they, they perfectly could decide who would really thrive in this context. And we've had a, a group of people. We've had people coming through and leaving, you know, getting established and leaving the home and new people coming in. And, you know, uh, God, Jesus' favorites, I mean, everyone's Jesus' favorite. He's good at multitasking that way. But there's a theme, both Old and New Testament, over and over. The fatherless, the widow, the alien, the stranger. And those four categories are kind of representative of every vulnerable person, fatherless, widow, alien, the stranger. And I like to think of like the robust, fun Jesus life is to somehow have a way of simply expressing God's love for the fatherless, the widow, the alien, the stranger. And I just wanted to say like you guys and the various people who've come and gone in our fellowship and the people we planted out and what not, um, you know, the real, the first engagement we started with was Asia's Hope, which was kind of uh, initiating at first what was an experiment with one group of kids to try a third way children's home, where it wasn't foster care and it wasn't institutional care. It was literally like adopting families together. Like, you know, aunties, uncles, moms, dads, and an extended family of children in one house to stay together and our hope was when all the children were uh you know four five eight maybe eight years old at the high end 
that we would nurture and care, educate and share the love of Christ with over all these years. And then everyone who can go to college or vocational school, we're going to pay for that too. One thing that's kind of, uh, and right now, virtually every kid who was a small little kid when we started our church and did this has graduated school. And we had like, what, four out of the top eight scholars in Cambodia that year came from our children's home, which these are the kids that were basically in the pipeline that would have perhaps led them to being trafficked. And that model has gone viral uh, to the point of kind of the narrative is if God can do something, if, if, if we, we can participate in this, anyone can, because God knows we're not the super structured, organized, best communicating church there is by any deal. But there is such a strong simplicity that people say, well, I can do that. And I, I'd rather, you know, we have people, we look at heroes thinking, man, I could never do that. But I'm more inspired by people that do something that infects me to want to do it as well. And that has gone viral, that model. And it's interesting as Kathleen, my daughter, has been at uh, University of Chicago uh, studying economics and human rights. And she's been interacting with different economists and stuff and sharing about her experiences like with Asia's Hope. And uh, one of the gentlemen uh, has one of my favorite podcasts out actually on economics. But he was explaining how, yeah, we found through all our analysis that those small relational efforts get the most bang for the buck. And he's explaining all the kind of science behind what we happen to just relationally. So that, the fatherless. And there was also a lot of, now the widows, the ailing, the strangers. We sent the Buckleys out several years ago as part of the team. The team ended up leaving Tanzania, but they stayed. And not something that was super structured, not something that was strategic. It wasn't like these guys had uh, master's degrees in global development. Doug just liked coffee a lot. And they're in Tanzania and they got great coffee. And they're like, uh, well, how come everyone here drinks instant coffee when we grow the best coffee and all the best coffee gets exported? And then Doug thought, well, I have nowhere to get my kind of coffee. And there's a lot of expats here and business people here that want their craft roasted coffee. And while he was in Columbus, he learned how to roast his own coffee with a popcorn maker, you know, the hand crank. He's like, well, there's in the culture where they were living, women who were widowed based on the uh, kind of religious cultural background they were part of were not open to remarry. It was just this crazy, real, weird patriarchal thing going on. So a lot of women who had small children had no other option but prostitution to care for their children. So Doug got a few popcorn poppers and a flip phone and put advertisement and taught these women how to roast coffee. And they would get text messages from expats to sell $12 bags of roasted coffee, which was mega, mega profit that ended up uh, elevating the scenario where no one had to sell, not only were they not having to sell their body, but they were hiring and training people. And that emerged into a coffee shop, conference center, with free preschool for the area. And the church met there on Sundays from a popcorn popper. But it was all relational. And to the point is now, there's a number of women who own farms now that, as Doug and Lindy are here, Lindy's uh, doing health care for... Uh, in, uh, 
immigrant mothers who are at high risk for infant mortality uh, doing healthcare at that through children's. And Doug is purchasing coffee from the farmers, bringing it here, roasting it, or selling it to coffee shops. And it just, this work in Cambodia that is in partnership also with the church they started is going on. So uh, the fatherless, the widow. And as we think, the alien, the stranger is the whole narrative of the Bible, just really quick, is being displaced and finding place. You know, we have Adam and Eve get kicked out of the garden, and then it's about finding a place. Uh, uh, Cain gets in trouble for killing his brother, but God puts a mark on him so people know to keep him safe. Uh, Abraham it leaves his homestead to become a wandering person who's promised a place. Israel, uh, his children reproduce and grow to be a huge group, but they're enslaved and they're given a place. And then Israel's reminded over and over, remember, you didn't have a place. Give people a place. And then we have Jesus who extends giving people a place to be concerned for the people oppressing your very nation. It's like uh, when the Rome, Rome was the big enemies. You see this a lot in the Gospel of John, like in two significant things. Like Jesus is uh, extending welcome when he's in Samaritan territory to a culture group that his people hated. And it, Jesus is the person that he'll go anywhere, and it can be your place, but because he's there, you feel more welcome. Jesus is a roving place of welcome, safety, and healing. One caveat. It's not really safe if you want to oppress or hate on people. It becomes very uncomfortable. But Jesus was like a roving, safe space that no, knew no cultural or national boundaries. You know, we have the scriptures where Jesus comes to Jerusalem on a donkey the same day Pilate would have been coming to the main entrance. And, they, and basically to inaugurate his reign, which would begin by Jesus being tortured and killed by the team-up between religious and political authorities colluded to kill Jesus. In his, uh, in his last few words, you know, one of the few things he was able to say on the cross was, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And the whole... Jesus' story that we're 2,000 years later gathering for is predicated on the idea that Jesus didn't stay dead. Yes, we know that that is an anomalous, by everything we know, impossible deal. That Jesus, because he actually was the Son of God, the weight of every word of welcome and healing and kindness he said was validated by him taking the most the deepest expression of evil in the world, torture and murder, and then coming through that to victory. And that Satan, the forces of evil, and the sin of humankind gave it their best, and Jesus comes back. Is that all you've got? And that is our gospel, that Jesus wins over all hate. And that we are invited not to, in the old kind of ancient Near East idea, appease a God that's going to destroy us. But we're invited to join a family of a God who is exactly like Jesus. It says the Word, 
you know, Lagos and John, this unapproachable idea that's beyond all of us, total ineffable idea, became flesh and dwelt among us. You know, the word got body odor and had to go to the bathroom and sleep and eat and wake and was approachable to us in the greatest truth in the world. Everything we possibly need to know for life at this stage of the story is revealed in Jesus, who is God. And as impossible and irrational as it sounds, people of every culture and every education level claimed to be witnesses that he did die and he did rise. And there's whole departments at universities dedicated to the study of ancient Near Eastern mystery religions of which Jesus following is not a mystery because there was an unbroken multicultural telling of the story and enacting the story. Julian the Apostate was so upset, one of the uh, last Caesars of Rome towards the end, or last uh, before the church sold out to Rome, or part of it did, um, you know, with Constantine, and it's okay for Christians to kill people and all that stuff. But before that, Julian said, yeah, we can't stop these guys because they dress the wounds of their oppressors. You know, they dress the wounds of their oppressors, and you can't really... So here we are today. We're just a messy church. We're this messy church. And I'm not saying that in a derogatory way at all. Any way that my beloved three-year-old child back in the day would make a mess, and I would think, oh, our household stinks. Look at what a mess my kids made. So well, the kids are having fun. We got a great household. And yes, it's a mess. So I think when I say messy church, I think the mess that kids make when they know they're loved by their parents and be, feel free to be themselves. And we don't have, like, a number of you uh, are new or newish or checking the place out. We're in a place of rebirth, rebuilding, reimagining. You know, there is no ground floor to any church. Because every church is just another movement in the work of a previous church of a previous church. There is no founders. There's, this, there's just tributaries of the work of God in the world. And we get to be the hands and feet in Jesus. Now, we don't have a ton of structures. If you look around here, you don't see a million different things. But one thing we're committed to is a little bit of awkwardness covers a lot of lack of systems. And that means, yeah, we, we don't have a special system for you guys to get lunch together. But if you can hang out afterwards, maybe talk to people and be awkward, which we got a zoning variance for awkwardness here, you get connected. And so as God's expanded this, we've, the, the alien, the stranger, I mean, we have Luis uh, today was helping to lead worship. And Luis is, how long have you guys been married? Three years? Two years. And uh, he's not allowed to get a green card yet because of the way the structures have been created in our nation. And if he goes back to visit his parents, if your parents get sick, you can't even go because they won't let you back in the country. All this to say is we don't have the most welcoming place for the alien and the stranger, right? But we live the future. That essentially what it is to follow Jesus is to live according to the full inauguration of Jesus' reign. It's to live according to the future rules today. And sometimes we get to do that legally. There's so much room to serve Jesus legally. Sometimes serving Jesus... I mean, all over the world especially, I mean, it, there are certain nations where it's illegal to overtly follow Jesus and tell the story of Jesus. So at least you can acknowledge, at least there's some places that you can't legally live and follow Jesus. 
And there's some controversy to what extent, you know, America is or is not hostile to following Jesus. I'll just say, just to kind of, I think there's no government that isn't, I mean, I, I, I'm grateful for my nation, but I'm not, a, I'm not like a fan of any system because Jesus is too good to really settle for a second. I just, Jesus is so radiant. And Jesus takes us where we're at. We don't get cleaned up for Jesus. It isn't about winning Jesus' approval anymore than you're, a, a newborn kid has to be producing and earning money and not making a mess before you love them and welcome them. When you welcome a baby into your family, the poop ain't no big thing. The diapers ain't no big thing. In the same way, God welcomes us as we are, as children, and he apprentices us. We don't do things to earn it, but a lot of people have had this idea that they view Christianity as this code or set of rules that like, I'm saved by grace, so I don't, works don't matter. I said, no, we're saved by the grace of God and welcoming us into his family. And once we're part of his family, we want to become like him when we grow up. And it's not a matter of earning favor. It's that if you receive something so good, you want more people to play with. Like if you get this, as a little kid gets this amazing toy set, or they get like, you know, a, you get the kid a soccer field. You give them a, ball, a whole soccer field, but the kid has no one to play with. It's not a really good soccer field. In the same way, as being God's children, we are invited to welcome people. So why did I... I mean, so I want to tie this really quickly. Uh, June, can you read this passage? You're going to hear the quickest sermon, I hope, ever, or commentary on this passage. Oh, here you go. All right. Galatians 2, 1 through 10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with these esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. I wanted to be sure that I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we had in Christ and make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And for those who were held in high esteem, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. On the contrary, they recognized that I have been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been to the circumcised. For God, who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised, was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. All they asked was that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I had been eager to do all along. Thank you, Jim. So essentially, at the end of this part of the passage, 
Paul comes to peace, and he ends up, he's in an agreement with uh, the, the, the church in Jerusalem that, hey, you know, you got to do what you do, we'll do what we do, but remember the poor. Remember the poor. And I was thinking about what is at stake in this church in Galatia that Paul is writing this letter that is pleading and sometimes angry. Why are you so mad, Paul? Why is Paul mad? And what's happening is we have what has often been a criticism of people outside of Christendom have criticized Christians, criticized missionaries, saying that you're pushing your culture on other people. And frankly, there have been people in the name of Jesus who have pushed their culture plus Jesus. You know, there's some, you know, in certain tribes in Nigeria sing music at a different chromatic scale than our 12 notes. And some people start churches and said, well, how are they, we going to use our hymn books if they sing a different scale of music? So we need to import pipe organs, bring them over here, and teach people the right notes to sing so they can worship God. And major bummer. I mean, major bummer. I mean, I don't want to just have one genre of music. But by and large, my personal experience has been people kind of ruin their ability to ever assimilate into our culture anymore when they go overseas because they bring their gospel and they look for the beauty of another culture and see where it comes together. Uh, that's not the one that my daughter heard about in high school uh, when she was at Kaz, them talking about. They talked about imperialistic missionaries and stuff, but whenever she went overseas, she saw the exact opposite when we would go places. But what's at stake is if you take this dynamic story of Jesus that I just did my best to do a little quick summary of, right? This dynamic story of Jesus and reduce it to a, a series of rules and check marks of belief. Like, are you here? Do you agree with this? Do you agree with this? Do you agree with this? Cool. Now you're saved and won't go to hell and let's just sit and be right and try to persuade other people to be right too. Versus you've been set free and this is the story that explains what you're free to do. What was at stake for Paul was these guys would be so, I mean, he's being followed by this group from Jerusalem. And what's Paul do? He says, hey, guys, I met with your bosses behind closed doors. You weren't even invited. I met with your bosses. And guess what? They probably met in a synagogue or something. He brings Titus in here, who's a Gentile, not circumcised, which was required by their culture. And he never conformed. And he got approval from them as long as they could unite in serving the poor. They believed in the same Jesus. One thing's at stake when we put our culture before our Jesus, people suffer. When we put our culture before Jesus, people suffer. And this wasn't just a Jew and Gentile thing. This happens all over the church. This is not... This issue is a human issue. We fear difference, so we try to conform people. But the Jesus story goes to everyone, and every culture has it is a screen that when you project the Jesus story on it, has its own brilliance and own perspectives and own beauty. And what I found, like in my perspective, mostly Cambodia, is that when my friends in the Prebahir province have embraced Jesus. They've had insight because of the suffering they've endured in their cultural background where they're helping to disciple me. I don't have some Western superiority because I got a minor in Greek and whatnot and stuff. They, because 
of their cultural background, their story, even the trials they've been through, they need to mentor me in the gospel because God does not raise up hierarchies, he raises up families. So what's at stake is if you put the culture first, you lose the story. So I have so many friends that are barely holding on to faith. Now, specifically friends in, within this deal of white evangelicalism. I'm not saying European or Caucasian, I'm saying white evangelicalism. A lot of people are like deconstructing out of the story. And I can only speak from my experience, guys. I understand. I say if I wasn't involved in God's cross-cultural missional agenda for people to experience Jesus, be filled with him, and leak them, leak them out everywhere they go, I'd be an atheist. Because if the end-all, be-all following Jesus is thinking you live in the best country in the world, and your culture is the best country, and anyone who doesn't uh, put your nationality or your political party thing before this is substandard, that's the apex of the faith is being grumpy and angry. Can you imagine if the apex of faith could be similar to a talking head on TV that was complaining? Can you imagine if the apex of following Jesus was like an angry talk radio host dividing people? I mean, never trust a grumpy theologian because this is a joyful story. And if it isn't joyful, it's told wrong. You know, what's at stake is Paul is everything. So see, what cultural trappings get in the way of our friends' experiences? What cultural trappings get in the way of us? I've got a lot of thoughts on this, but if you find the way someone's culture unapproachable, and that culture is married to Jesus, then Jesus is unapproachable. In the story of the parable of the running father, the prodigal son, is not only is God approachable, but he'll approach you. You'll try to approach him, and he'll run it before you can get three steps in his direction to meet you. Not only is God approachable, he approaches. If, if you, the picture of Jesus you've seen has been delivered by people that you know you annoy and they don't love you, or people that sneer at you, then it's hard not to imagine God sneering at you. If... You see Jesus married to a culture that is so important about putting up appearances and can't disclose the brokenness and the process that resides in all our hearts. If the culture is fake, maybe the story is fake as well. But if you're here today, if we're here today, at least to one level or another, we suspect that there's more. I mean, because... It was hard to get here today, let's be honest. And it's in the morning, and it's the weekend, and blah, blah, blah. If you're here today, there's some level of either suspicion and or confidence. Oh, Louise and um, Andy, can you guys get up for worship? This, uh... Now, what I know is for some reason, this place has a bunch of people who are in helping professions. Or help in a normally unhelpful profession. I mean, uh... I... I know enough of your stories, know, and I've visited enough of you workplaces to know that where you are, the joy of God is. And we've got so many teachers, social workers, caregivers, strategizers, mommies, daddies, whatever here, that are bringing love wherever they go, right? 
But for compassionate people of Christianity married to country, married to culture, married to any political party, either it's bad or worse, what's at stake is compassionate people feel need to be distanced from the most compassionate story ever told. Compassionate people are separated from a unity that people in all nations can experience if they center on the, the true elements of the story. They're separated from the story. They're separated from the global body that transcends culture and time. And I believe, and this, you know, this might be offensive to some people, I think they're separated from a healing journey. Because when I think of everything our culture is now learning about trauma-informed care, there is no story in, that partners with trauma-informed care better, I think, than the story of Jesus. Because just to deny desire, well, what about the desire for healing, reconciliation? I, I, I've been in a place where disabled people, because of the religious culture, aren't allowed in public places like swimming pools and stuff because they're a reminder of a past that we need to detach from in Cambodia. But what is, is Jesus on encumbered, Jesus on bound? We don't know it all. We're not certain of all. We're certainly not going to win arguments with everyone. Most people were not persuaded by what Jesus had to say in the long run. But for those that are, imagine five years from now that people that annoyed you, you just chuckle at. Imagine the people who had power to hurt you with their words and all you feel is compassion like a little kid having a fit instead of being like all offended. Imagine that you become less offended and more loving and you are able to look at people and actually have the feels that you maybe only had for your kids. Imagine a world where every year you love more and hate less. And the thing is, because Jesus rose, I want to ask uh, Rachel, could you come up here? Rachel's going to lead us in some uh, prayer ministry. We're going to be really awkward today. I'm one of them. And we're going to just take some time in silence, try to listen to God and find some things to pray for each other about. But what's at stake? Oh, I guess we have a camera here. Hi, camera. What's at stake is if we just play church, if we value all these cultural trappings of what church is over who Jesus is, if, we find our, if you find yourselves, the more you get to know that you think you know about the Bible, the more grumpy and angry you get, you're not reading it right. Because here's why I know about Jesus. Jesus could literally, in an honor-shame-based honor culture, talk to the woman at the well and bring up her uh, sexual brokenness and the fact that she went physically deep and not relationally deep with a lot of people. When he brought that up, she in no way felt condemned or shamed. What, is it, what person can bring up something that you're trying to keep hidden about yourself and you don't feel ashamed? You're like, can I please get more time with this person? Jesus had a way of communicating gentleness that is beyond imagination. We can become more like that through God's Holy Spirit. Well, God brings us to Jesus and takes our masks down and heals us and healing is contagious so we believe because the spirit of jesus is with us today 
in some immeasurable way, and we want to see how God wants to care for us now so we can be unified to care for others. Yeah. Um, like Jeff said, this might be a little awkward because we're just going to take a few minutes to just wait and be quiet um, and ask the Holy Spirit to come. Um, yeah, so if you feel awkward, that's good. <laughs> so um, however you feel comfortable... Oh, okay. Well, however you feel comfortable, whether that's holding your hands open or sitting or standing, whatever, however you feel most comfortable to meet with God. Um, yeah. Holy Spirit, come. Father, we just ask for um, just the sweetness of your, your spirit to just fall in this place, Lord. Let's just take a, a couple more moments to just be quiet. And, yeah, Father, just, just come.
Something that comes to mind as we are taking this time to be quiet is something that um, Mike Pilavachi said. We, we went to the Holy Spirit conference that the Big Vineyard did, and he was talking about one of his friends that he was praying with, and the prayer that his friend said was, and I'm paraphrasing, something like, Jesus, if Jesus, let us crawl on our hands and knees over a floor of broken glass if there is somebody on the other side that needs your love and needs to know who you are, and let us be willing to do that. And that, that just felt so powerful because we, we pray prayers of, God, bring your grace, bring your comfort, bring your healing, and not prayers of, God, put us through suffering so we can reach the people that you love. Um, and I'm really grateful to be a church that has the heart to do that. I'm really grateful for all of you, and I just want to pray that prayer over us today. Um, so again, if you want to lift your hands or however you feel comfortable, Lord, we just ask for your spirit to come. God, I thank you for this space, this space that just gives us so much that your spirit has come into and that you've given that to us, God, that you've brought us healing, you've brought us community, you've brought us grace. And Lord, I ask for the courage to take the spirit that you've given us and take it out into the world. And God, we thank you that you're our safe refuge, that you're our place that we can go to and we know that we have safety in you. And just ask for the courage to to move out of that place, to be able to bring it to others. And like our, our dear brother who prayed, Lord, if, if it means crawling across a floor of glass, of broken glass, to be able to reach the one person that needs your love, I ask that we have the courage to do that. God, we thank you that you've instructed us on who you care about the most. <laughs> you care about all of us the most, but the people that you want us to reflect your light to, the fatherless, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant, the refugee, the stranger, and the alien God. God, I just, I just ask and pray for you to give us your spirit to do these things. I ask for your spirit to fall, Lord. And I thank you that all of us get to be a part of this, that we don't have to be special. We don't have to have a certain set of gifts to be able to do this, that all of us can do this, that you make it accessible to us. And thank you for loving us the broken, just as, you, as much as you love those who are far from you.
something else that um, we learned about this weekend was how, hmm, how God can give us an affection for people who need his love, but also just a willingness of being able to take on, like, the feelings of agony that God has when he sees brokenness. And it's really scary, and it, it's nobody likes the feeling of suffering, but thankfully we're in a place where we don't experience it like some people do. And so, God, we just ask for just a willingness and an openness to receiving the feelings of suffering and agony that you feel when you see suffering and agony, God. We thank you that your love and your grace goes with us wherever we go and that we are the people that get to stand in the gap for people who are suffering. Let us be that.